Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And Logan, boy, do we have some stuff to talk about. Reports coming out that Carson Wentz may have fractured his finger in the game on Thursday night, Grant Paulson saying he may miss as much as six weeks. He's scheduled to see a specialist coming up on Monday. We were recording this uh, in case anything comes out on that at about 5.30 on Sunday night. Uh, I have the Chiefs-Bills game up in the background. Uh, on, or I guess I have Red Zone up in the background. That's the, the primary game going on right now, Logan. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on some of the games that are happening or that happened earlier today as well. But our main focus uh, will be to talk about what this offense would look like if Carson is out and Heineke is in. And in order to do that, I think we should look back, uh, as we typically do uh, on Wednesdays, on a Monday pod, about uh, what happened in the game against Chicago. So, uh, first of all, what's up, buddy? This is, I feel like I haven't talked to you in like two whole days. <laughs> it's crazy. It has been a while. Are, yeah, you, are you okay? You hanging in there? Yeah, I'm hanging in, man. It's been tough not talking to you for sure, though. Right. I know you went and got it's a haircut like, and everything. You got a haircut, you know. Did uh, It was nice not having to go, go to the game today, you know, st- spend some time with the fam, but... Nice to be talking some football again here this afternoon. So yeah, uh, agreed, agreed. Nice, nice little weekend reprieve after what was an absolutely bananas week. Obviously, still monitoring any fallout on Tuesday. That that's the other thing we could wind up having to talk about on Wednesday is the NFL owners meetings on Tuesday, and if anything yeah. happens in regards to Dan uh, following the ESPN story. But uh, as for now, let's take a look at the game uh, Thursday night. They win kind of 12-7. I mean, it's a win. Uh, 12-7 over Chicago. I mean, let's uh, give it to them. Like, if no one's, yeah. no one's giving them credit for it, you know, national media is kind of ripping them apart. Like, they got a win. They need to get a win. They got it yeah. done. It was ugly, but, you know, it's it, it's a win. A win's a, a win. win is, you know what I'm saying? It does, it does still count all the same. As we evaluate the performance, though, let's just start with the offense. Um, what, like, they threw for 99 yards, didn't particularly run it well. Didn't really do anything well. Uh, that's why you wind up with 12 points, which, again, is enough to win considering uh, the defense bowed up in key spots. But, like, what were the the big overarching problems that, that weaved through the game for them offensively? 
Yeah, so I think I mean I think the the highlight of the game is probably the run game. I know it doesn't feel that way, but I think they averaged about four yards a carry, if I remember correctly. You know, Brian Robinson, um, he you know looked a little bit tepid, but ends up you know I think averaging right around four with a touchdown, maybe three point nine something yeah, like that. Yeah, he, he winds up in the high threes for the game. I mean, Gibson is the one he three five um, seventeen for sixty, yeah. but like, Gibson averages seven on his five carries. But it felt like Gibson really turned the game when he came in, and you know I even tweeted out at halftime I was like they have gotten way too far away from Antonio Gibson. He comes out, his first touch of the game, it feels like, is returning the second half kickoff. And then they come out and they start to mix and match Robinson and Gibson a little bit more. And that was the one drive they kind of threw together. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, McKissick had a nice touch in there. Like I was just looking back at my notes as we were talking and, you know, like there's an RPO in there that he sparks, almost breaks for a touchdown for, I think it was 18 yards. Like, they, those guys did some nice stuff, you know, and I think, like you mentioned, Gibson shows up in a big way, gets a game plan run uh, kind of on that his first big carry. It's, um, you know, kind of a, a designed outside zone to the right. They bring the tight end back across and the defensive end for the Bears thinks, oh, I know what this is. He's trying to cut me out of a gap, plays underneath it. And then you get Cole Turner one on with the corner. And obviously Gibson's an explosive dude and is out in space and uh, probably would have scored a touchdown if um, – if uh, Roquan Smith doesn't fight over the top and get it on the tackle. So, uh, or Terry ends up blocking him too. You know what I mean? So, so just a guy kind of making a hustle play that, that stops that from being a huge play. Uh, but again, like I think that that if you're looking for something positive offensively, they did some good stuff there. I think the offensive line on, a, on some runs, kind of spot runs, did some really nice things in terms of passing off stunts. And, um, you know, the goal line run, I think Norwell does an excellent job just being patient with his feet and kind of helping Leno out and really ensuring there's a soft spot on that, uh, on the touchdown run. So I, I think if that's, if you're looking for something offensively, I think that's it. And I think, you know, when you average over four carry, like I know um, Robinson was three and a half or whatever it was, but total over four, that's, a, that's not a bad day. Yeah, and a touchdown. They're four, six as a team, you know, carry Terry gets yeah. two carries uh, yeah. as well, a six and a five. Um, McKissick's got two for 20 Gibson, five for 35. Carson actually brings down the average. He's got two for two, um, including, by the way, I mean, one of the things and we'll talk about Carson and obviously we'll talk about what Heineke brings, but that running element is something Taylor does. I mean, it was, you know, watching it as like a movement coach, watching him on that keeper and try to cut man. Like he just doesn't have that anymore. Um, like not that he can't move and throw a little bit on the run, but like he is not a runner he cannot get out on the edge and like, I mean, he literally like rolled his ankle trying to make a cut and he's just kind of clumsy as a, as someone trying to make other guys miss. And it's great when he lowers his shoulder as a blocker. And like, he obviously has a huge block for the second straight week of uh, this one, not only a big in terms of impact, but big in terms of like collision impact, sure. but big in terms of where it was in the game, helping spring Robinson um, down to the goal line. But it, it's the kind of thing that, you know, there's going to be get, you know, give and take uh, if Wentz is out, uh, like we we think and is being reported initially, at least as we talk right now, um, you give up a ton of arm strength and all that kind of stuff. But I do wonder, especially if they're they're going to try to be running the ball a lot more because, you know, it's going well. It's where they feel like they can protect their line or their line is better, et cetera. That if, if Taylor's ability to run and getting him some planned runs becomes part of their weekend, week out strategy for as long as he's the starter. I mean, that's something that I've always been kind of calling for. And if you look back to last year, that's something they just never really got to from a planned run standpoint. He's he's Taylor's twitched up. He's got some good movement skills. He's very um, like uh, twitchy, bursty, you know, like he can get get up to get to top speed very quickly and do some damage there. But that's something Scott never leaned into. And I think um, 
again, like when we were watching the game, uh, Dalt, uh, Denton kept saying, oh, you know, Fitz, uh, Fitzgerald before the game said this is like a very plug-and-play offense. And I do think that I get that vibe from Scott. Like that's something that would be innovative and kind of helpful probably. And I think Scott's like, that's not what this offense is. That's not um, the history of this offense. And so I don't, I don't expect that to be a big feature if Taylor does come. But I think, you know, um, if you look at some of the other throws that Carson had in that game and some of the other kind of concepts that they called and I think areas where he struggled reading it, I think if you look at what Taylor did during OTAs and training camp, um, he probably is a little bit more efficient there, you know, and we talked about Carson's arm strength and obviously that's on display, even in the incompletion of Curtis, like that was a heck of a throw, probably with a broken hand, which is, kind of mind-blowing that he was able to get that done. Um, but, you know, I look at what – like I look at – I think back to training camp, and um, Taylor was much more efficient in terms of running the offense play-to-play. -play. Obviously, the big plays come when Carson's in there because he's launching the ball down the field and he's got that ability. But, like, just for example, there's a play kind of in that two-minute drive where it's like um, it's like two slants on the outside and then a corner by the inside guy. So – Number one, mm. number two runs slants. Number three runs a corner. And then the back runs a swing to that side. And Is that old Dusty? Am I thinking of the right play? Um, some people call it chair. You know, it's like a chair variation. Like, it could be Dusty, depending on what offense you've been in. But Old, old yeah. 72 Dusty? Was yeah, there a you Gruden, go. Gruden favorite. That sounds like a right call. So, anyway, the back is wide open. And Carson kind of forces the ball to the corner. And I think a guy who's a little bit more comfortable with the offense probably just throws the ball to the back. Like he's wide open. The, the slants have picked the guy who's Matt, who's trying to match the back, who's McKissick. And that's probably a 10, maybe 15 yard gain. And again, there's stuff like that all over the field. Like they run all go special the next play, which is just a three by one. Right. And so on the side of the three receivers, they run. One guy runs across the field vertical. One guy runs straight up the field vertical. And one guy runs a go on the outside. And the receiver on the other side runs a shallow cross. And the shallow cross is wide open. It's Terry. And if Terry catches mm -hmm. that ball in stride because they're they're playing like a soft cover two, I, I would imagine Terry gets about 12 yards. And then you have another timeout. But, you know, as has been Carson's MO over the past couple of weeks, he just jumps directly to the back and throws it to the back. And it's an incomplete pass. But even if it is a complete pass, like it, the guy who's got the momentum, the guy who's got the space – it feels like the reach would just go, I'll go special to Terry, but for whatever reason, he jumps to the back. And again, like those are the types of throws in this offense, you know, Taylor having been in the offense for a while that I think he makes. And I think that's going, going to add a level of efficiency. I think you lose, you know, like the play against Tennessee to, um, to Diami. I think you lose that. Right. But I also think the down-to-down -down efficiency, like we talked about the Tennessee game, like he missed a couple – reads on in cuts like big in cuts that would have been big plays i think taylor hits those or he's at least trying to hit those and i think you know like there's two plays right there um there's a they run like a ceo concept so a corner and an out to the front side and then they run a drive concept to the back side which essentially is like a shallow cross and a uh, like kind of a dig, uh, like a dig a 14 yard dig and so you know obviously an out and a corner are not great necessarily versus cover two because there's a safety for the corner and there's a corner for the uh, out route, right? And so good good quarterbacks tend to go like corner out, say no, and then they go right to the dig. And on this look, the dig is wide open again. And I kind of think to myself, like a guy who's more comfortable probably gets there a little bit quicker, probably understands, hey, this isn't there as much as I want to give this guy a shot on the corner. 
the digs where the throw is. So I think that stuff is probably going to be more efficient, like I said. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's true. I'm, I, I can't, I gotta be honest. I'm a little disappointed. Carson is hurt because I'm kind of hoping maybe selfishly that he turns a corner and we get to see whether or not he's the guy for 2023. And I know everyone wants to say no right now, but ultimately he's a new quarterback and a new offense and still trying to find himself a little bit and playing behind a banged up offensive line. So I would like to get more data points on that, but um, I do think that Heineke has the potential to provide a little bit of a spark, even looking at the preseason games. Who ran the offense more effectively in those situations? And oftentimes it was Heineke. Yeah, um, we'll start, let's circle back to that in a second. Just real quick to wrap up the offense from the Chicago game specifically. What did you make of the game that Scott had and, and how did the line play as well? Because I feel like everyone was ready to kill them uh, you know, in terms of criticism because those first two third downs, they give up sack, sack. And it's like, oh, here we go again. And then then they kind of settled, it felt like, maybe. Uh, but, yeah. you know, reputation-wise, the damage had in many ways been done. So uh, what did you make of the day the line had and then kind of combine it all in terms of what did we make of the, the game that Scott called? I mean, I kind of think the first sack, honestly, is I don't want to give anyone blame, but if I were going to assign blame, I'd probably give it to Scott. I think it just, you came out, you're running a concept that is open, obviously, but they're basically running like a zero blitz. And for how much zero blitz this team has seen and for how they've struggled with it, going back to the Detroit game, for you not to have like a plan for that. And again, like I wasn't expecting it. Like I probably would have got caught with my pants down because I thought they don't do a ton of this. Like, why do we need to prep for it? But I think your history as the Washington commanders indicates that, yes, you're probably going to see a little bit more zero than other teams because you struggle with it. So what is the answer moving forward to zero pressure? um again and then like you're an empty a ton on third down you, you like it i get it but you know sometimes there's a benefit to just keeping the back in there and saying like let's not stress the offensive line as dramatically because the second one is is a tough play right they come up in basically like a cinco front right so they have to kind of money call that uh, meaning so money would be that everyone's got a man right so there's five offensive linemen there's five defensive linemen they're just going to man that up however if they do bring an internal pressure the tackle has to set the end and then squeeze back down to bump the guard off the three technique to bump him to the blitzer in the a gap. That is tough. That's tough duty. And I think like that's a lot, that's a very common thing in empty protection, but it does put a lot of pressure on that group to kind of identify things quickly. Like if you watch Leno, he's very, very efficient at it, but obviously like Lucas is who's been outstanding is a little bit slower to recognize and move his feet and get that done, especially with Sadiqa Young Garden there as well. So um, I think understanding that a little bit better and saying like, yeah, we're stressing our back a little bit because Roquan Smith is a great blitzer, but we have to do something different than what we're doing on third down because teams are exploiting how we protect on third down because our offensive line is still gelling together. There's a lot of communication issues. Think about it. There's three new pieces on the right side there, or including the center, right? And you're just not asking for a very successful formula, I don't think, in some of those situations. So, again, kind of going back to that kind of, um, you know, Scott with his traditional approach to how the offense should be run, as opposed to kind of speaking to his players' strengths, I think is something that I would really look at there, right? I understand you don't get to call everything you want to call, you know, if the offensive line's struggling, but you need to, you need to kind of accommodate that group at this point. And I, I don't think he's doing that. Um, as much as he probably needs to. And, you know, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a guy who watches a lot of film, but I'm not calling plays. I'm not in the rooms. So I don't know exactly what's going on there, but that's just my observation. 
Sure. And that's, that's the tough thing when you're in this position, right? Is like you watch the result and you go, this ain't working. The, the hard part is then figuring out why and, and what you can do about it. And, and that's ultimately their job. But I think it's like bluntly, like that's what separates our podcast a little bit from a lot of the other stuff is like you played in the NFL for 10 years and like actually have an understanding of what the, some of those solutions look like. And so it's not like we're just heaping criticism on it's like, Hey, week after week, this isn't working. Here are some other ways in which it's done in the league. Why are they, what, what is the reason? And this is the part that we don't know is like, what are the reason they're not trying that? Is it stubbornness? Is it uh, personnel, whether it's quarterback line, whatever that can't handle it? Like, why do they continue to think this is their best option? Because clearly if this is their best option, they're not going to be a very good offense. And, and to be fair to Scott, like um, uh, McKissick is open on the out. You know, but it's just like you get a free runner in the quarterback's face, like it's a low, it becomes a low percentage throw, right? And um, and I and I just keep going back, like it haunts me, you know, to hear uh, Fitzpatrick basically saying it's a plug and play offense. It's not an offense that is is contorted or manipulated to fit the players, because that that shows up every week, you know, like you're he's calling what he wants to call, he's calling the offense, he's not thinking like, oh, how do we formation this to get guys in better spots? It's not. Oh, this is how we get the runs so that it puts our offensive line in better positions. Oh, the protections. It's not that. It's very like, this is it. We're going to run mesh. We're going to run dagger. We're going to run all go. And we're going to let the chips fall where they may. And I think that's one of that's one yeah. of the frustrations, obviously. But again, there are offenses that are relatively successful to do that. So, Yeah. So this also makes, not to like to harp on this too much, but it also makes Ron's quarterback you know quote that much more ridiculous right like if you actually never do anything around and not not the faux controversy like the real substance of what he meant is like we haven't had time to build around a quarterback right okay well you've never changed anything for any of the quarterbacks that you have like there's been like seven plays this year that they run and you go okay that was taking advantage of carson's arm strength sure. that's something that heineke probably doesn't do but also they ran some of that the same stuff last year and heineke just didn't make the throws yeah. And so have they really modified it to their offense in any way to their guys in any way? Like, sure. Every, every once in a while they throw Curtis or Terry or, or even Carson in play to his strengths, you know, a bone, so to speak, but down in, down out, are they doing it the same way that Buffalo, that Kansas city, that LA, that, you know, all these best offenses in the league are, and even other ones that are not quite the best offenses in the league, but just the way it's done, um, you know, what Atlanta's doing with Marcus Mariota, what Tennessee does with Henry, like their offense fits their personnel. And if the personnel changes, the offense changes. And, you know, when you say, oh, we haven't had time to do that, and you're on your third quarterback in three years, and the offense has never changed the entire time, that, uh, th that argument loses quite a bit of steam. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, um, I mean, that's that's the one consistent criticism we have with the offense, right, is that it doesn't seem, and again, like, I think it's important to know that, like, when we talk about LA, when we talk about San Francisco, you know, Tennessee, some of these other offenses, they're we're, they're running the same concepts that, that, um, that the commanders are running, right? But right. they just get to them in different ways, and the execution in terms of how they get there is just more efficient, right? You can tell it's like, it's like watching... It's like watching a TV, an old, um, you know, low, low def television, right? It's like you can see what's happening, you get it, you understand the crux of what hap what's happening in your show, and then, but once you click on the high definition, you're like, oh, okay, like that's how that's supposed to look, like that's how that image is supposed to make me feel, 
And I think like when you when you look at when you look at the commanders, again, it's a low, low res version of what these other guys are doing at a high level in the NFL. And I think that's again, like like there are offenses that just call it and run it. I I, I don't agree with that philosophy because that's not ever how any offense I was in outside of Chicago and maybe Houston, even Houston, they pushed the envelope a little bit and they were a numbered system team as well. Um, you know, that new England offense that, um, Bill O'Brien ran down there. But I, I, I just think you, you gotta, you gotta kind of be solving puzzles each week to get yourself in the best position to be successful. Right. Um, there's a great example today too, even in the, the Buffalo game, one of the plays in the first half, and it's just a simple thing, but it's like third down. And instead of a traditional, like three white, three by two empty split, they kind of stack two receivers out wide and then have digs in onto the, the field side in the slot and give them a choice route. Yeah. And it's like they, they they got like a college amount of space for Stefan Diggs to run a choice route basically against a linebacker in zone. Yeah. Like little things like that you don't see. You see the same formations. You see the same personnel groupings. It's just – it's not that special. Um, and well, that's you, that's even in, the results. Even in the game, I mean, they ran a choice route, right, to 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 Gibson, and it, Gibson get he catches the ball. It's like a, I forget, it's like a um like a five yard gain, right? But you don't give him an opportunity to kind of work a stack, like work any kind of relationship to like one of the things about choice, like if you can run it from space, like they did with Stefan Diggs, or you can run it with another route there, usually a vertical stem route. And the vertical right. stem route forces the defender to say, either I have to be inside of this vertical or I have to be outside of this. And a right. good choice route runner can manipulate that defender so they're kind of walled off from the angle. And you're just like, hey, go win this route, man. And we got an out route right outside of you. And the out route is kind of preventing you from doing anything kind of super spicy in terms of getting this linebacker off their leverage. So, and again, I don't know if that was choice. That might have been lucky. But again, it does limit how effective that route runner can be in that situation. And again, I right. think that's, it fits perfectly with your example. Something that, that I also just remember that I wanted to ask you about real quick, and then I want to flip the, the script. Both we'll talk about the defense, then we'll talk about Heineke and, and some of the things that they probably do better and what they lose, because there is a reason uh, Carson Wentz was the starter. And I think that's yeah. important to point out because I do think that Heineke has somehow returned to like superhero levels that he got uh, kind of, I <laughs> mean, look, Bay, he, was, right? he was great in the Tampa game in, in so many ways, but like he was great against the expectations of he had not started a game all year. And I feel like people have gone back to like, oh, he's just great. And it's like, well, let's, let's have a more realistic look at what Taylor Heineke was last year. But one of the other things that I find fascinating about this offense, why do they continue to throw to running backs and like third and five, like at the sticks. Like there is just a consistency that that has happened the last couple of games where I get it get. And like, I certainly have been someone. And so have you, that's like more Gibson, more McKissick, like get these guys involved, but lining them up at receiver and having them run a dig on to the sticks on third and five, like that's not using their skill sets. Like in their, that's not like, like there's a great phrase, uh, highest and best use. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's if you can get as many people in your business to have, be in their highest and best use, you will optimize your business no matter what the business is. And J.D. McKissick or Antonio Gibson's highest and best use is not running to the sticks, turning around and catching a contested ball. That is not that is not what they're best at it is not where the offense is going to function best in that situation. And yet, whether it's that or like 
hey, let's get JD on a slant at the goal line or the interception uh, to close the Tennessee game. Like they keep putting them in some of the hardest positions that wide receivers get in, as opposed to using them in wide receiver splits to get them into space where they can be running backs. Yeah, and I think you know, again, like I, I look at you know Kyle Shanahan's offense from two years ago, where it had the highest amount of separation of any offense in the league. And one of the things he does well is he gets a running back, but he understands that like, Hey, I can run a pick for this guy, or I can manipulate this coverage based on the other routes here. Right. So like, let's say you've got a three by one, right. And it's quarters or whatever it is. Right. If I run two verticals that kind of widen release, right. I'm creating a void there in that defense where no one can really match the back and the back runs a slant or something. And there's just going to be this, this space because the flat defender has to push all the way out to go get them. And that's just like, again, that's like high school, hairy kind of game plan stuff, but that's a simple way to kind of say this, this back is a good space player. They're not great route runner, but here's a way that we can manipulate what they're trying to do to put him in a good position to catch a ball with space and make something happen. And I think that that is um, again, like you, you don't see a lot of it, but again, to defend Scott, there are opportunities in this game where Carson's appears, appears, I'm not in the meeting, I don't know exactly, but appears to be misreading it and appears to be kind of working too quickly through his progression to get to something else that is not what it's supposed to be. So again, that's kind of a lack of familiarity with the offense by Carson, right? And I think, you know, Scott can probably help him out a little bit pre-snap in the headset, I would think. But to me, like, again, to be fair to Scott, Yes, they could be doing some more high-level stuff, but some of the stuff they're doing is not hitting. And now that's pretty common, right? That's pretty common in offense, but I think it's important to at least acknowledge that point. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.